Hello listeners and welcome to our podcast. Today we'll be talking about women of color in media and how different races are represented in it. To start this limited series, I will be talking about Latina representation. Did you know that Latinos attend more movies and listen to more radio more frequently than any other U.S. racial or ethnic group, but Latinos continue to be represented primarily as criminals, law enforcers, and cheap labor? There are also stereotypes geared towards women, such as the need to be sexy, to have big bottoms and chest, Spanish accents that we see mocked on television. We also see big families with lots of babies and domestic workers. These stereotypes can often be seen in media, such as the shows like The Maid or Family Guy Consuela Maid. We can also see this in another show called The Devious Maids. Simply hearing the name of the show or movie, you can tell that there is this ongoing repetitiveness of maids, housemaids, cheap labor, and domestic work, which are often connected with women, with Latina women. One show that I need to mention is Modern Family. There was a big controversy with one of the characters played by Sofia Vergara. In the show, she plays this very loud, proud Latina with a very stereotypical accent. She also has the big boobs, the big bottom. She's characterized as sexy. What people don't know is that Sofia Vergara actually does have a very strong accent, and that is because she had come to the U.S. knowing no English at an older age than most people, meaning that she kept her accent, and she is very proud of it too. The reason this is a controversy is because while some people believe that she is stereotyping all Latinas, others believe that she is being herself because this is who she is, and it is just a coincidence that she follows the common stereotypes. This is where we see the term hypersexualization come in because many people see Latinas as a sexual object, we are not seen as a whole being. And this is because of some of the stereotypes. Now, where we go wrong here is when these stereotypes become true. And yes, it is true. Latinas typically have bigger bottoms, bigger chests, and some have Spanish accents. The problem is, is when we are hypersexualized and people do not look beyond that. In 2013, despite being 17% of the population, Latinos compromised none of the lead actors among the top 10 movies and scripted network TV shows. Not only are we stereotypes in the shows that we are in, but there's also an absence of Latinas in shows. There are a ton of amazing Latina actors, such as Amy Garcia, who plays a forensic scientist in the show Lucifer, Jennifer Lopez, who's an amazing singer, changing the game for Latinas in song work, Rita Moreno, who plays in West Side Story, which is having a 90th anniversary, which she is also playing in. Now, you may ask why this even matters to other people other than Latinas. And just because it it affects public views of us, Latinos are now expected to follow these stereotypes, and if they're not following them, they are not Latina enough. It also gives young girls unrealistic body standards 
such as the big chest and the big hips. I know in a lot of families we see women, if you don't have enough hips, then you're not Latina enough. Hypersexualization of our own language, words such as mommy and papi, which are terms used to describe our parents, are now being used in sexual manners. Minorities are considered different, reinforcing the idea that being white is the norm. Fear of breaking the norm and not being Latino enough, like I said with the whole hips thing. Now the question is, what are our solutions and who are our advocates? One great advocate would be our, the TV network Telemundo, which has great representation of not only Latina actors, but also Latino actors, and provides a great variety of shows that they can be casted in. Um, the Right Her Right movement, which advocates for better representation. We also have scripted series with amazing rating, ratings, such as La Reina del Sur, which also has an American remake called The Queen of the South, which did amazing on Netflix. El Final del Paricio, which is another great show with amazing actresses. We also have Betty in NY and the ex exclusive broadcast of the FIFA Women's World Cup on Telemundo. Although we see Latino men disappearing as lead actors, we see the percentage of Latinos and Afro-Latino American actors rising. We also see another movement such as the See Her movement, which created a guide called Latina Characters, Authentic Representation, and Storytelling Guide for anyone in the mass media industry. As I said, it is a guide for anyone in the industry who would like to know more about how to get real Latina characters and how to represent them fairly in media without completely destroying their true identity. What I would like to end my episode off with is that although many of our families come from women who've worked in housework and cleaning and gardening and farming, is that as we progress on, I would like to see more representation. We are now, not only are we your maids, we are your nurses, we are your doctors, we are in your government. And for young women to see that and see themselves in places where they're not usually seen would be a great way to be inspired and to work harder to achieve the things you want to. Thank you for listening to my episode. And up next we have Zola. Hi listeners, my name is Zola Cofield and today we're talking about Middle Eastern women, specifically the lack of representation in American media. We also have a surprise guest read in the show, so make sure you listen all the way through. My hope is that you'll take a new perspective on these women and why we need more positive representation, especially for our young children. Now, to put a disclaimer out there, the Middle East is a variety of countries. There are different ethnic groups, with the largest in the region being Egyptians, Arabs, Kurds, Persians, Turks, Armenians, and Georgians. But keep in mind, there are dozens of other ethnic groups. When I say lack of representation, I'm talking about how whenever you typically see a Middle Eastern woman in media, it's always negative. From terrorism to sexualization, this population is highly misrepresented, and it's time for that to change. Now, I want you to think for a moment about this population. What famous movies, media, or anything else of that matter comes to mind? I am almost sure Aladdin has crossed your mind at least once. In Aladdin, and no, not the 2019 film version, but the original one, the film appears innocent to a child, 
and it conveys a classic love story about a peasant with a golden heart who saves the princess and wins her heart. Such innocence, right? When the primary plot is separated from the supporting characters, subplots, and lyrics, it is clear that some stereotypes are there. For example, the clothing that women wear also demonstrates the xenophobic nature of Disney. It presents the highly sexualized belly dancer as one mode of representing a red ribbon. A lot of it is considered a children's movie, so why are we letting this horrible stereotype be shown to children? They're also either showing the women in overly covert garb. With this, it seems to display the typical conservative nature of Islam slash Arab culture and the American fascination with the exotic woman. In some of the clips of this movie, the Sultan says, Heaven forbid you ever have a daughter, which is demonstrating that women in society are a burden to men. If it's not belly dancers, it's also silent veiled women in Haram Girls. We can see these examples in another film, Arabian Nights, as well. Another example of misrepresentation is how they are seen as oppressed. In the 1987 film, Death Before This Honor, it is one of many films to feature a woman as one of the terrorists. In addition, it shows another common uh, stereotype of Arab women as oppressed, submissive, independent objects. It just makes it seem like the more Arab women advance, the more Hollywood keeps them locked in the past. Although representation in mainstream media can definitely be improved, there are some good representations when created by Middle Eastern women themselves. They're not as popularized, but they do give a positive representation overall. Summer Kaik is the perfect example of this. The only thing in common with lack of representation is that we don't have enough diversity behind the scenes in mainstream media. There's constant whitewashing, especially when it comes to these Middle Eastern women. Going back to Aladdin, and now I'm talking about the 2018 version, they casted Naomi Scott as Jasmine. Naomi Scott is British, not Middle Eastern. Now with this, the solution to the problem of lack of representation is not why it's solely with Disney. The solution is to tell more diverse stories, hire more diverse creatives, and cast more diverse talent. Welcome back, listeners. My guest today is going to be Ms. Frida Magrabi. She's a current student at Vermilion College and Career Academy and is an Egyptian slash Middle Eastern young woman with a passion for painting. She's going to briefly share with us her experience and feelings in regards to being a young Egyptian slash Middle Eastern woman in America. Hey, Frida. Thank hey. you so much for joining us. Yes, hello. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. First one is, when you think of Middle Eastern women in, uh, in the media, what is or the first few things that you that you think of? Yeah, um, hijabis and belly dancers for sure, both of those. And uh, yeah, those are the two main things. Excellent. I was thinking that too. Next one is, are there issues that you see about the way this women, specifically Afro, Arab Americans, or, you know, et cetera, are portrayed in the media? Um, first thing off of this topic, I think that hijabis, especially hijabis, because when you're hijabi, you cover most of your body, and it's something about modesty that's in the topic of hijab. And um, when it comes to that on the media, men start to have their own imagination and start to sexualize what hijab is even though it's very modest and it's a part of a religion and uh, I think that even portrays in tv shows and how these hijabis are so insecure while they're wearing the hijab and they don't know who they are and uh, men in the shows are sexualizing them but once they break free they're like oh I'm free I can do whatever I want and I think that we should stop focusing on the negative and really deep dive deep and look into our culture and see what's good in our culture so we can genuinely learn about it and stop portraying the negative. Right. Excellent point. Last question is, so what do you believe is required for change to happen in the ways America portrays these Middle Eastern women? 
Okay, so what I think is required to be changed is really just learning about the culture. Let's not look at how the media really sends out the message and really dive deep and learn. Because learning about new cultures and learning about how these women really face the world could really help us portray how these women are looked upon the media because really the whole world knows what media is and we all have some what like some kind of social media so let's dive deep really learn and not give out the simple basic facts and really dive deep and give out what we really need to learn to really respect these women and not sexualize them and and have them portrayed in a better light Exactly. I'm so glad you said that. Well, thank you, Frida, for answering the questions. And thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode. If you're willing to help, please, please, please check out your local women of color organizations. I will be leaving some in the description. Remember to not support those who egg on the horrible stereotypes of these Middle Eastern women and all women of color and educate those who are wrong. Robert Aaron Long is a Christian fundamentalist that murdered eight people in Atlanta Spa on March 16, 2021. Out of the eight people, six were Asian women. The police ruled out a racial or gender-based motive. Yet, in court, he sat down from the Superior Court judge, Ellen McAla, and spoke about his addiction to Asian fetish pornography. It never felt like I had a lot of control over those urges and became obsessive to the point where it occupied a lot of thought space. As he continued in his explanation, he stated, I wanted to stop the places and basically punish the people that I could, referring to Asian women and their places of work. Yet again, the police rules out a racial or gender-based motive. How does this relate to the representation of Asian American women media? Why wasn't his motive recognized both by media and people? An answer for this is that media allows for widespread, easily accessible information, stories, and narratives, though the media isn't always motivated by truth or justice. There's a long history of Asian American women being impacted by harmful stereotypes and bias that leads to acts of violence, be it sexual, physical, or emotional against them. The most recent example being the Atlanta shooting. In America, 85% of the Asian population is Chinese, Indian, Filipino, Vietnamese, Korean, or Japanese, which are all Southeast or Southeast ethnicities. To give even more perspective of the diversity, within just the Chinese population, there are 56 unique ethnic groups. Given that Asians make up a majority of the world's population and hold so many cultures, ignorance allows such watered-down perspectives of Asian Americans and specifically Asian American women. In order to challenge and take apart these false ideas, we have to understand what they are and their roots. In the Atlanta shooting, specifically, Long killed Asian women who he blamed for his pornography addiction. A New York Tribune piece from 1854 described Chinese immigrants as uncivilized, unclean, and filthy beyond all conception, and women as lustful and sensual in their dispositions, every female is a prostitute, and of the basest order. This explicit statement reached American opinion and continued to smolder. This attitude proved itself even more malicious when the Page Act of 1875 was put into place. In practice, it banned all Oriental women from coming into the country. This was one of the first immigration acts to be put in place restricting a group, and get this, was not officially repealed until 1974, a century after the act was put into place. And although the act became more lenient, Asian women looking to come into the country were still required to go through an often humiliating checking process. We don't know much about what happened, but from leftover evidence, there's no doubt it was dehumanizing. Further down the line during the Korean and Vietnamese War, incidents of prostitution were high. Women often did not choose to go into this work. An obvious power imbalance between soldiers and these women add to the idea of promiscuity, but also a weak and docile attitude, easy to take advantage of. 
A popular example of a film stemming from this trope today is Full Metal Jacket. A line said by a Vietnamese prostitute to an American soldier is, me love you long time. Today, this phrase is still used to catcall Asian women, regardless of their ethnicity or in other popular media. More stereotypes in film are The Lotus, Dragon Lady, Miss Saigon, Madame Butterfly, and etc. All of these ideas both sexualize Asian women and mutilate Asian culture to appeal to an ignorant audience. Again, in these tropes, the women are hyper-feminine, soft, sensual, yet deceiving. Even in reality TV shows, especially dating ones, Asian women are caricatures. In The Bachelor, one Asian woman is described as a tigress. Examples go on and on for East Asian women, but what about Indian women? Indian women face a different issue, complete lack of representation in the media, despite Indians being the second largest Asian group in the US. Their stereotypes often blend in with those of Indian men as a model minority, working as doctors or engineers while still being seen as barbaric. A lack of representation can still be extremely harmful, alienating Indian women and stifling their identities. We have a general idea of these stereotypes and their places in media and history, so what impact have they had and exactly what do we do? A few statistics to put things into perspective are that 68% of Asian hate crimes are Asian women, and that 41 to 61% of Asian women report physical and or sexual violence against them in their lifetime, versus the 25% estimate for women as a whole in America. Intersectionality is vital to understand, and the public's inability to process the idea of intersectionality is holding society back from recognizing injustice. Women are vulnerable, people of color are vulnerable, people can be both and more. A big example of a failure to consider intersectionality is American white feminism. A feminist that has been greatly praised in the past, Amy Schumer herself has perpetuated racism against women in her comedy, joking about how Asian women are sexually superior and steal white men from white women. An obvious solution to this is racially inclusive feminism. Today, this is becoming more common and promoted, and making sure to include women of all races into feminism conversations and spaces could make a huge impact. Putting this into practice is another step towards healing. Asian women should also be the ones speaking on this. Speaking for Asian women rather than placing them in positions of power are counterproductive. This could be promoting female Asian writers, filmmakers, journalists, or simply artists telling stories. Possibly the most pressing issue that needs to be solved is that violence against Asian women are considered isolated incidents of extremism. If Asian women are twice more likely to experience violence than the average American woman, there's no way that these are just a few people that create ideas on their own. The attitudes that these attackers hold and an attitude the general public holds and the media exploits. Actually deciding to see the issue is very obvious but surprisingly difficult. All in all, there is something we can do about these injustices. It may take time and understanding, but it's possible with awareness and practice. Representation within American film has always been an important topic of discussion, but in recent years it has become more prevalent. This is because the importance of fair and accurate representation for certain groups has become more stressed due to countless studies, articles, and more informative formats being released about the importance of it. But where did misrepresentation of these groups come from, and how do they continue to persist? For African American women, these misportrayals and stereotypes have a long history in this country and continue to this day. To Stuart Hall, a modern leader in culture and media studies, representation involves understanding how language and systems of knowledge production work together to produce and circulate meanings. This means, to him, the concept of representation turns into a way in which these meanings produced could be created and also occur. When considering Hall's definition of representation and what this means for African-American women depicted in the media, a picture starts to form. 
In American media, there is a long history of black women being portrayed by racist caricatures that were made as a way for the South to either seek justification for slavery or reminisce about that period. These portrayals were allowed to seep into American films because black performers and filmmakers were often excluded from working on art within the new medium, causing there to be no true depiction of a black woman in movies during this time. These depictions of black women continue to persist in modern American cinema. They have just morphed into versions that are more palatable to current audiences. Historically, African-American women have been portrayed through three common stereotypes, the Jezebel, the Sapphire, and the Mammy. The Jezebel is named after the character from the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, whose lasting influence on culture is as an quote-unquote enduring symbol of female depravity. She is associated with promiscuity and leading people, mostly men, away from the purity of religion into sexual immorality. In the context of negative portrayals of black women, the Jezebel is an over-sexualized African-American woman who utilizes her sexuality as a means to gain control. This stereotype emerged during slavery as a way for white men to seek justification for sexually assaulting enslaved black women by calling these women too sexually promiscuous that they just couldn't control themselves as a result. The Sapphire derives from a character from the Amos and Andy show, which began as a minstrel show that featured two white actors in blackface that went on to become a nationally syndicated radio program. Amos and Andy became a television show, but it was canceled by CBS after African-American civil rights groups began applying pressure to the company to cancel the show due to a severe misrepresentation of African-Americans. The character on the show, Sapphire Stevens, is a stereotype as a masculine, impure, strong, and controlling woman who antagonizes her family, leading to her estrangement from them. Exemplified by how black women are more likely to be shown as violent than their white female counterparts and twice as likely compared to other women of color. The Mammy is named after an enslaved woman in the Academy Award winning movie, Gone with the Wind. In the film, she is the caretaker of the O'Hara girls and is shown as almost comfortable in her life as a slave. The Mammy in American film is a nurturing, submissive woman who has no agency or complexity as a character. This stereotype also has roots in slavery, from black enslaved women often being the caretakers of the slave master's children. Unfortunately, the Jezebel, the Sapphire, and the Mammy persist in modern American films. They just have taken on different names or appearances. The Jezebel has become a hypersexualized woman, with studies finding that black women dress more provocatively in movies than white and Latinx women, even in the workplace, and are more sexualized than these women as well. The welfare queen also derives from the Jezebel. She is a black woman who is thoroughly debauched, has as many kids as she wants, and relies on the state for welfare checks and she is too lazy to quote unquote, get a real job. The sapphire has presented itself in the forms of the strong black woman and the angry black woman. They are both hostile women who are aggressive, loud, and have an ill temperament. The idea of the strong black woman reinforces the idea that black women are almost immune to mistreatment because they can handle the pain. The idea of the angry black woman advances the notion that black women are so ill-tempered that anything they are angry over does not require that reaction and that they are not being rational. The Mammy remains in modern representations as an agreeable woman with a larger body type. Suit Jolie, professor of communication, once stated, Marshall McLuhan once said he wasn't sure who discovered water, but he was pretty sure it wasn't the fish. In other words, when we are immersed in something, surrounded by it in the way we are by images from the media, we may come to accept them as just a part of the real and natural world. When considering this statement and how negative the depictions of African American women are in film, the question of how are black women seen by the average audience is brought up. 
being limited to seeing a few inaccurate stereotypes about a certain group of people in film can cause individuals to carry inaccurate ideas about that group of people, especially if they do not spend a lot of time around them in their daily lives. When encountering black women on a day-to-day -day basis, they may compare them to these stereotypes or personas that ultimately do not represent them. This impacts African-American women as well. In 2015, Viola Davis was quoted by Entertainment Weekly as saying, Toni Morrison said that as soon as a character of color is introduced in a story, imagination stops. I mean, I'm a black woman from Central Falls, Rhode Island. I'm dark-skinned, I'm quirky, I'm shy, I'm strong, I'm guarded. I'm weak at times, I'm sensual, I'm not overtly sexual. I'm so many things in so many ways and I will never see myself on screen. Viola Davis, who has worked within the entertainment industry in America for almost 20 years, is one of the many black women who feel as though they won't see themselves on the big screen because of the personas that continue to persist within American film. But there have been some improvements made about how black women are represented in film. Currently, they are more likely to be portrayed as working in a STEM occupation in comparison to other women of color and white women. They are also more likely to be depicted as hardworking in comparison to white women and other women of color among women in films that are within the workplace. These, amongst many other improvements, have been made, but there are still links and many strides to be made before we can get fair and accurate representation within the media for African American women. Hi, for this episode we will be talking about the lack of representation for Native American women in the media. And when they are represented, it's either by romanticizing the history and culture or offensive outdated stereotypes. Native Americans aren't given the same care and importance as their white counterparts. This episode will be very in-depth on the history of where their stereotypes began and how they've never been changed since. At the end of this, I hope you'll go to the list in the caption for films, books, or shows you can consume with good representation of Native Americans, specifically women in the media. This won't be a purely negative take on the representation of Native Americans in the media. There are good representation when it comes from someone who is from the Native American descent. This episode is about how they are being represented well in the mainstream media and how it most consists of white producers and creators. When they hold the majority behind the scenes, that's a large amount of what the audience receives. This episode isn't about the lack of inclusivity and diversity behind the scenes, but it is something to think about as the episode goes on. For the first act, we'll talk about the struggle and the attempt to solve the problem with the or the question at hand. For this act, I'd like to first discuss the harmful representation of Native Americans in the media. I'll give examples of har harmful stereotypes and representation. The portrayal of Native Americans in the media has been shown in barbaric ways that aren't accurate to Native Americans. They give harmful representation that forms negative views on them. In the early part of film, Native American women or girls were only given supporting roles to their male counterparts. Tiger Lily, for example, who played the role in Peter Pan 1911, the daughter of the chief in the movie. The portrayal of Native Americans in this film glorified Peter in being a white savior and them needing his protection. Another harmful example of the portrayal of Native Americans is Disney's Pocahontas, the romanticized version of the true story of Jamestown. What is portrayed as a love story in the Disney film is actually a massacre and haunting in a haunting true story. Again, in this film, John Smith was seen as a white savior that created peace between the settlers and tribe, while it wasn't completely true in what really happened. Often, 
In films, Native Americans play the part of needing guidance, while white characters are seen as heroes that go out of their way to help them. In the media, they're never given their own storyline without the need of assistance. For the second segment of this act, um, I'll talk about the harmful portrayal of Native American representation. Recently, Native Americans in mainstream media haven't been getting little have been getting little to none representation, and when there are characters and roles for Native American pursuing roles, they're often given to white counterparts. Jacob Black, for example, co-star in the film Twilight, he was played by Taylor Lautner. The role was originally meant for someone of the Native American descent, um, but wasn't able to provide the right look for the movie. Jacob being Native American is a major part in the film, yet the actor isn't. It's not just about the fact that there aren't enough representation of Native Americans in the media, but they're not even hired for their roles. Another example should be Jacqueline in the show Kimmy Schmidt. While the character is meant to be of Native descent, it's played by a white woman. Although it's meant to be another added source comedy, it's still very problematic. Third segment of this act will be talking about the good representation of Native American women in the media. Although representation in mainstream media can definitely be improved, there are some good representation when created by Native American women themselves. They're not as popularized, but do give a positive representation for those that are looking for it. Rebecca Roanhorn's Horses Trail of Lightning, for example, a proven great representation in children's book with the main lead being Native American herself. Another example would be Sweetheart Dancers. Uh, made in 2019 by Ben Alex Dupris. It's a story about Sean and Adrian, a two-spirit couple determined to rewrite the rules of Native American culture through their participation in the Sweetheart Dance. It's also a good representation of Native Americans in the media. It can be done correctly. Now for Act 3, the only thing in common with lack of representation is that we don't have enough diversity behind the scenes in mainstream media. When giving white creators 9 times out of 10, that's what we're given. It's sometimes harder for people of color to get their names out there and produce media of what they want, especially for Native Americans. The last Native American lead on CBS was 41 years ago, and it's because no one waits for them. They don't get casted in roles that are clearly meant for them, and they don't get quality characters. And just remember, there is a list in the caption of films and other media outlets where Native Americans are represented well in the media. Thank you for listening, and if you have anything to add, be sure to email us um, with the email left also in the caption.